Welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you're online, thank you for being here in person. Pray God's blessing on our time together. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Let's stand and sing together. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord.
Lord, you are a gracious God. Open our hearts to a sense of your presence with us here this morning. We believe that you are always here, always present. There is no place from which you are absent. And yet we acknowledge it's so easy for us to go through life unaware of you. So in a moment of quiet, we still our hearts and recognise that you are here. You are with us. You are within us. You share together with us. And we come to meet you, trusting, knowing that you will meet all our needs in accordance with your riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And we long for the day when things will be done your way on earth as they are in heaven. So hear us as we sing, hear us as we pray together, hear us as we speak in the quietness of our hearts. And may we hear what you have to say today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I invite you to join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
We started our service with some words from Psalm 103. God will not always accuse or keep his anger forever. Unlike me, God is never irritable or resentful. Uh, Mousetrap is here, uh, not because it's my favourite game, though it was when I was a boy. And it works no better than it did when I was a boy either. But um, I remember... I used to love this. My parents thought it was really boring. You might identify with my parents rather than me. My best friend at the time, our fathers were in the Navy together. She would come round and, and, and stay for a couple of days and we would do all sorts of stuff. One night, uh, we were playing mousetrap and we were in the middle of a game and it was bedtime, so we both went our separate ways to bed. We both read in bed and she read avidly and she borrowed, it might have been this book. It might have been this 1968 edition of the Reader's Digest World Atlas. Anyway, the following morning, she confessed that in the course of the night, she dropped the book on the mousetrap, which was just by the side of the bed. And it wasn't usable again after that. I have to confess um, that I did not respond very well. I think she had to forgive me more uh, in terms of my response to her than I had to forgive her in terms of the accident that she'd had, and, and yeah, soon we'll know how irritable I can still be sometimes. She's brilliant at forgiving me, forgives me all the time. When I wrote about the forgiveness of sins, the dedication's to her, because she loves much, she's forgiven much, she says at the beginning. Um, but God is, is, is more like Stephen than me in many respects. When we come and we say, God, I've done this, he is never irritable or resentful. He's always ready to forgive. So whatever we've done, whatever it is we have to confess, we don't need to be afraid that he's going to be explode at us or lose his temper with us or harbour a grudge against us. God is not like that. He's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and always ready to forgive. Let's face it, if he can forgive the people who crucified his son, he can forgive anything. And when Jesus died, he took all the guilt, whatever punishment we feel we deserve, whatever sin we've committed, Jesus took all of that to guarantee God's grace to us. Whatever it is that we've done, that's what makes God so amazing. So there's a responsive prayer on the screen, and I invite you to join together the words in yellow. Gracious God, if we've come to you today conscious of guilt, bless us with forgiveness. If we've come to you today in despondency, bless us with faith. If we've come in anxiety, bless us with peace. If we've come clothed in half-heartedness, Bless us with commitment. If we've come clothed in resentment, bless us with grace. If we've come clothed in distractedness, bless us with focus. If we've come clothed in failure, bless us with confidence. 
who come clothed in complacency. Bless us with urgency. Bless us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in accordance with your plan. Amen. Michael, can I invite you to share a few words with us, please? Yes, yes. I was chatting with God on Wednesday morning, and uh, as we regularly chat together, and we were talking about identity and what our identity is. And God brought me back to the very simple identity. Our identity is in Christ. What does that actually mean? Well, it means that if our identity is in Christ, then it's equal to God, with a big G. We're not anxious, because God isn't anxious. We can leave our anxiousness to God. We do not need to be afraid, we do not need to be insecure. We don't need to worry about who we are. An example of that, when I first met my wife, she asked me three questions. What's your name? I said, Mike. She said, Mike. What, Chris Mike? Where do you live? I said, here, here and there, because I was living in someone's house. Well, I was staying with them as a guest. What do you do? This and that, because I did many jobs. But I was confident in who I was in Christ. And that is a confidence every one of us needs to have. If we have that confidence, we have that security. If we have that security, we have God. But he enabled us to stand, and to stand firm against all the storms that come in life. Now, in the last decade, I did earthquakes, I did wars, and I did hurricanes. I saw them all, but I stood in Christ in all of them. So, what do we need? We need our identity in Christ. But we can also have an identity which is not in Christ. That means we're anxious, we're afraid, we're insecure. We don't have a surety of whose we are. Now, Jesus said very clearly, if you care about your mother and father more than me, or your family, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Is our security in our house, our job, our future, what is happening to us? If our security is there, then we're not worthy of the kingdom of God. We need to be 100% secure in our identity. And God was saying, people are becoming insecure in that identity because they are following other gods or God with a small g. And that God is often what we worship. And if we worship another God, whatever that God is, we will lose that security. So we're left with three questions. Where do you want to stand? In what 
identity do you want to stand? So where do you want to stand? Do you want to stand in the identity of Christ? Or do you want to stand in the identity of the world? That is the question today that is probably the most difficult question we're facing. As the world is telling us not to stand on the word of God, not to stand on what we believe in. But we need to stand firm on that word. And what I would ask you is choose today which way you will go. Will you stand firm for God and firm in the word? Or will you stand for the world? Thank you. Upstairs, God bless you. Have a great time upstairs in GRDK. Otherwise, do please be seated. Thank you. We are very pleased to welcome Paul Curley, who's joining us this morning from the Southeastern Baptist Association. Paul, delighted you can come and share with us. Uh, we've given you two bits one to talk about the wider church and one to bring God's word to us. 
Can I invite you to come and share with us, please? Thank you. Have I switched on? Oh, look at that. Okay. We were at college together. <laughs> okay, that's a long time ago. Anyway, uh, I've been asked to share something about the South Eastern Baptist Association for whom I work and of which you are a part of as a Baptist church in the South East. And also talk a little bit about Baptist Home Mission. I haven't checked, but I'm sure as a church you have supported Baptist Home Mission down uh, through the years. And you may be thinking, well, what is a Baptist home mission? Well, it's the Baptist family purse, or uh, the wallet, if you like, from which the Baptist Union uh, takes uh, and uses money to spend on its work. Its work nationally, regionally, and locally. And did you know also that uh, every Baptist church is a home mission church? Even you here uh, at Brighton Road, you are a home mission church. And how is that, as it says on the screen behind me? Because every Baptist church, every Baptist church, benefits from home mission in one way or another. And you'll be thinking to yourself, well, how will Brighton Road Baptist Church benefit from home mission? That's the question you're answering or asking, I'm sure, straight away. Well, in three ways. This is how you benefit as a church from Baptist home mission. First of all, national expertise. Um, and if you go to Didcot's in Oxfordshire, um, the high life, I'm, I'm sure, of Oxford, I don't know the area that well, but if you go down the high street there, you'll see this big orange rich building, and it's a bit of a giveaway because it's got Baptist House outside it, so that's where you have the, as it were, the national resource, the headquarters of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, and also the Baptist Missionary Society as well. And in those offices of the Baptist uh, Union, you have about 30 or 40 people working there. You think maybe maybe hundreds of people working for the Baptist Union there in Didcot, where only about 30 uh, or 40. Uh, and they work in their specialist teams up there. Now, most church members uh, don't have anything to do with Didcot, but ministers do uh, and church leaders do, for example. Maybe when uh, there's a, a building work to be done uh, or there's a, a, a major safeguarding issue. Um, they are there to support the association and also local churches. So you can benefit from the national resource there in Didcot. Also, Home Mission not only supports the national resource at Didcot, but also it funds the 13 associations. And around the country, as you can see there, we have 13 Baptist associations and, of course, SEBA, the Southeastern Baptist Association, of which you are a part and for whom I work, as I said already, uh, is part of that. And that covers the whole of Kent, the whole of uh, Surrey, the whole of Sussex, and even a bit of northeast Hampshire as well. And we have a, a team here uh, in, in SEBA. We have a new uh, team leader, Josh Hunt, and then you'll, you'll, you'll see me there, regional minister. Uh, we have a safeguarding officer. We are in the process of advertising for a new safeguarding officer. Some of you may have heard or read that our uh, previous safeguarding officer, Wendy Mann, sadly passed away uh, recently. Uh, Steph Tidy, uh, our administrator, and my own dear wife, who is also the events coordinator and also my PA. 
and she thinks I'm the best boss there is in the world. She's not here this morning, you can tell you otherwise. And uh, also we have Pete Butchers, who's our moderator. We have Richard, uh, who's our operations manager, as well as, and I should have mentioned this, David is here somewhere. Uh, David is still kind of linked to the Shiva, and he's been helping us out during this little overlap period. And this time David uh, moved away, although he's back here this morning, great to see. And uh, Richard's uh, taking up the office. We have a new church, uh, a new church, church, a new association church here even, Cassie Fisk. Uh, her husband's a minister in Kent, and Steph Friday Games uh, Ministerial Recognition uh, Coordinator. And holding the southeast, we have nine networks, geographical networks, uh, and all our churches are divided into one of those uh, networks. About 150 Baptist churches here in the southeast. So, uh, home mission giving, the money that you as a church, maybe as individuals, give to home mission is used for the national resource. It's used to fund the associations around the country and also by way of church growth grants or home mission grants. And, and some of the money that you give goes, goes back to local churches who can't afford a minister, but they are really doing mission and, and involved in their community. And they want to see Christ proclaimed and the church built up. And they need a bit of financial assistance. And, and so grants are given to, to churches uh, to help employ a part-time or a full-time minister. And here are the churches that we are supporting uh, this year. Uh, that's Jadala Tiad uh, in the Arabic Community Church down there in Brighton. It's the only church in the Southeastern Baptist Association uh, where you go and preach and you need an interpreter or translator uh, because it's an, obviously an Arabic community church down there. He's also a minister of East Worthing Baptist Church, so he's rather a, a busy man. And then uh, Chittyville Baptist Church, we have Zao, uh, however you pronounce that name, I do apologise to, to him, I always, I always get it wrong, but uh, he's uh, uh, the minister there at Chidifo, he's full-time, he was minister in training there at one point, now he's full-time, and again he uh, and Jadala wouldn't be in those churches without home mission support. Uh, we have Neil Hilton doing uh, a real uh, sort of church planting type situation, a pioneering situation down there in Brighton again, and uh, he's been doing that for a few years now. Um, but uh, he's really making inroads. He's also, one of his roles is the chaplain to the local pub darts team. What a, what a ministry that is. Uh, Barstool Ministries almost, really. But so there we are. That's one of the things he's, he's involved in, a number of other things as well. Then over in Hawkinge in Kent, we have Alison Boddington. And then we have in New Haven, Jack Parsons. And again, just to bring home, these churches would not have these ministries, part time or full time, without your support. So they are, I'm really here on their behalf thanking you uh, this morning for your support. Uh, Yalding Baptist Church, uh, and uh, Tim will know something of, of Yalding, uh, not too far from uh, Maidstone. Uh, they've got a lay pastor there now and they're supporting that church. Um, and likewise, Paul Brooks, uh, Judith Ellis, that was a church plant a few years ago uh, and the previous minister had moved on uh, and now Judith is there and then, uh, you may know, Pete's the Gibson, uh, Life Community Church uh, in, in Horsham. And then Bread of Life. Um, we had a church in a, a shop uh, many years ago. That, that church came to a, an end. It closed. Um, but the association got involved in, in redeveloping the, the shop. It's now a bakery and a cafe. 
and, and John Weston is a, is a Baptist minister whose passion is making bread and pastries uh, and things like that. And uh, he's now the, the pastor and baker uh, of that uh, outreach centre there in Shrewd in Kent. And if you ever over, over that way, pop in because uh, the, the bread that he makes and, and the pastries are out of this world. Um, so I go, I go over there as often as I possibly can. Not enough, but I go over there as often as I can. So, all those projects uh, and more next year, there'll be uh, new ones coming on board next year, they are supported. They can have a minister because of your support of Baptist Home Mission. But remember this, every Baptist church is a home mission uh, church. Why? Because every Baptist church benefits in one way or another uh, from home mission, whether it be the national resource, the associations, uh, or the local churches themselves. So, I'm here, as I said already, to thank you uh, for your support of Home Mission uh, down through the years. And uh, do not only support financially, uh, but do pray for those churches. Uh, I send out every month a little video from one of these uh, supported organisations, and uh, I'm not sure who gets it here, but uh, you can pass it down to others. It, shows, it tells you within two or three minutes about the work, the current work, of all these projects. And it's called the Home Mission Focus. If you don't know anything about that, see me afterwards and I'll get you on the, uh, the mailing list for that. But thank you again for your support of Baptist Commission and the support of the South Eastern Baptist Association as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bishop. Highly appropriate that David, who still works for Seabury in some capacity, all the way from Cornwall. Uh, welcome back, David. Great to see you. And you're going to bring... Uh, so our reading this morning comes from West 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, um, starting at verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, at our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I Paul did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Ephesus. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has, now just, has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you 
in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Thanks, David. Let's pray. What is lacking in your faith? Lord, we recognize and acknowledge the times when we struggle to put our faith in you, the times when we are not as wholehearted as we could or should be. Lord, although you keep faith with us, we often don't keep faith with you. Thank you that you're patient, you're merciful, you're kind. Where our faith is weak, would you strengthen it? Where our faith is wavering, would you secure it in you? Lord, would you, would you bless us with your faithfulness? Give us that quality which belongs to you and which we so easily lack in our day-to-day lives to enable us to walk in faith and in trust and in hope. We think of Paul writing to the Thessalonians, recognising the persecution and tribulations and difficulties they encountered. We pray for your people around the world suffering persecution. Particularly, we think of believers in North Korea. Strengthen their faith. Give them resilience. The ability to stand firm. To recognize your grace and faithfulness towards them. To see answers to prayer. To find occasions when they recognize your deliverance, your salvation. And for all Christians who are isolated, we think of those in parts of the Middle East who have to be believers in secret. Uh, We pray that they would be aware that they are part of a wider church and that we are committed to praying for them, (coughs) supporting them, and being one with them. Thank you for the ministry of Sat 7, which enables them to tune in and and to to receive Christian support from, from television programs. For those struggling to find... The ability to access that for those who are vulnerable because uh, the police are stopping them looking at their phones to see whether they've accessed it. We pray for your protection upon them. But Lord, you know as well that our hearts are heavy this morning and anxious as we look at news from the Middle East and Israel and Gaza. We grieve for the loss of remain appalled at the callous killing that took place last week. We are appalled too 
civilian convoys being stuck in Jordan and Jordan and people fleeing for their lives being killed. We think of those having to leave their homes and moving to a place where there are no facilities for them. And we pray that aid would be allowed into that country from Egypt. And we recognize that conflict appears inevitable. We pray for your strength. We pray for swift resolution. We pray for justice. We pray that we would not see further atrocities or war crimes committed. We pray that this conflict would not spread. Hold back the forces of violence and evil, we pray. Have mercy on those suffering injury, bereavement, imprisonment, pain. Lord, we, we thought at the beginning there is no place in the world from which you are absent, and you are there in Gaza. May people see your presence, and would you work miracles of deliverance and protection to be had even in the midst of violence and suffering. We commend to you those fleeing for their lives. We commend to you those held captive against their will. We commend to you those preparing to fight. Be present as Lord and Saviour. We ask it in Jesus' name. sing together restore O Lord the honour of your name
talking up over here. So I'd like to pray for Paul, and as your spirit has led him in preparation, would your spirit rest upon him now as he shares what you have laid on his heart and placed in his mind. Would you speak to him, and may we hear you speaking to him. In Jesus' name. Great. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, whether they be uh, this type or on phones or iPhones or iPads or whatever you have these days, um, please uh, turn with me to that passage that uh, I've been asked to speak on this morning from 1 Thessalonians and uh, chapter 2 and verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse 10. There we have it. By the way, this is a very precious letter, 1 Thessalonians, from there. I just chucked this in at the beginning. Uh, you won't know this, you don't need to know this, but uh, it was through the preaching of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, back in 1979, when uh, I gave my heart uh, to the Lord, uh, at the Friday Holiday Crusade. That was a very long time ago, before most of you were born looking around. You're all so young here, so, uh, uh, but there we are. That's a very precious um, letter of this, of Paul's to the Thessalonian church for me. Now, just to remind you, of course, that this uh, letter uh, of 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian church, a church that had, uh, he had just planted uh, and established himself. Soon, however, there was opposition among uh, the Jews who were jealous of Paul's success in preaching uh, the Christian message among the non-Jews who had initially became interested in Judaism. So the Jews weren't very keen on having Paul around because he was taking potentially their converts from them. So Paul was consequently, um, well, he was kind of forced out of town. Uh, he had to leave town quite quickly. So he left Thessalonica and eventually ended up in Athens. So what is this passage all about? What's the background to this passage? Well, as I've said already, uh, Paul was driven out of Thessalonica. He had to flee for his life. Nevertheless, while he uh, wasn't with them in person, he was still interested and, and, and loved these young Christians in Thessalonica. They were on his heart. They were precious to him. They were, in fact, as we read there, his pride and joy. So much so that Paul made every effort to uh, return to them, but, but sadly to no avail. Because there, was ev there were road roadblocks, if you like, at every step for Paul. He just couldn't get back to the Thessalonican Christians. And that broke his heart, I am sure. So what did Paul do? Well, he, he sent the, these young Christians in Thessalonica, his special agent, if you like, and... Uh, that was Timothy. If you read about that in uh, chapter 3 and verses uh, 1 through to 5. Paul was an evangelist, of course. He wanted everybody to know the good news about Jesus Christ. But he was also a pastor, was Paul. And because he loved these young Christians so much, he didn't want to leave them alone. And as he couldn't get to them, he sent Timothy to them in his stead to, to strengthen them and to encourage the Christians there, and to help them stand firm in their faith under the persecution 
of the future. Well, Timothy uh, went and eventually he returned to Paul in Corinth and, and reported to him the good news about the faith and, and love of these Christians there. And that in essence, that indeed things were going really well in Thessalonica, in this new church. The Christians there were indeed standing firm in their faith and, and they, they didn't believe the, the lies that the Jews were spreading around about Paul. The Thessalonican Christians still held Paul in the highest regard. And it was at this point that Paul wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica this letter. And in it, tell them, in these verses, that we are concentrating on here this morning, that he was thanking God that they were still strong in their faith and standing firm in their faith. You must feel, can't you, the tears of joy and the tears of hope that were in Paul's eyes as he wrote them this letter. So much was his love for them. Paul also, Paul also told them that he and Silas and Timothy were one constantly praying for them in their faith. Their faith and, and their, their love may continue to grow and to mature. Also that they uh, should continue to live holy lives. That's what Paul was encouraging them to do here. And that thirdly, he hoped to meet them again one day. So, so acknowledging that he could not return at that time, Paul looked forward to the day when they would all be in the presence of Jesus there in heaven. Then one day, Paul said, he and they would stand before Jesus and would receive their crowns, which were awarded to them because of their work uh, in introducing Jesus to others and because of how they uh, lived for Jesus in their day-to-day -day lives. Paul often uh, spoke in other writings as well about giving of crowns in heaven one day. We haven't got time to focus on that this morning, but uh, if you want to do a bit of study, uh, do study that. It would be interesting, I'm sure, to you. So just uh, imagine that you were a new Christian there in Thessalonica, uh, and when you read or you heard read uh, Paul's letter here to you, I think that you would have been greatly encouraged. You were going through some intense persecution and suffering, and, and maybe you had been tempted maybe a little bit to give up the Christian faith. But you hear Paul saying in his letter, don't give up. Remember what you have in Jesus. You have the word of God. You have your brothers and sisters around you. And you have also, of course, the hope uh, of heaven in front of you. There's no need to give up, Paul would say to the Thessalonians, and he would say to you and me also here this morning, there's no need to give up. Keep on going, Paul says to them. There we have it, really. Uh, a pretty straightforward passage, one would think. Paul sent the Christians in Thessalonica a helper in the person of Timothy, and on hearing Timothy's report, we read how pleased Paul was with them and how he continued to encourage them to stand firm in their faith and for their Lord. So what can we take from this passage this morning. What does our Lord want to remind you and me of here this morning? Well, I believe it's, there's many things, of course, one could take from that passage, uh, many, many things as I sat down and prepared from it, but I 
I've taken the focus of faith. For me, it's all about faith and being faithful to our God in these verses. Our God, of course, is a faithful God. We see that time and time again throughout, particularly the New Testament and the Old Testament, of course. Maybe no clearer than Lamentations and uh, chapter 3 and verse 22, where the writer of Lamentations in one of his laments, even though the whole of Jerusalem and the temple was being destroyed before his very eyes, despite that fact, the holy city, his holy city, was lying in ruins. He said this in Lamentations 3.22, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And because he, God, is faithful to us, we need to be faithful to him in return. Faith. F-A-I-T-H. How's your faith, how's my faith in Jesus this morning? That's the title, really, for my address this morning. How's your faith in Jesus today? How's it really doing? Would the health of our faith be excellent, good, okay, poor, or critical this morning? I wonder. Let me just uh, leave these three things with you, for you and me to take away with us this morning. Is your faith in Jesus, little. I don't know about you, when I became a Christian way back uh, in 1979, and uh, I became a Christian at that Farley holiday week, I went back to my home church in Wandsworth in London, where that's where I was dragged up as a kid. <laughs> I went to church, I went to church primarily because I fancied the minister's daughter, but that's uh, neither here or there. But I, I went to church, and, and, I, and I saw these saints of God around me, um, people in their, in their 30s or 40s, I thought they were really old then, uh, as well as those who are much older. And they used to pray the prayers of Zion, you know? And I thought, my faith is absolutely zero compared to these people. Is your faith little? If it is, you are in good company. <laughs> Look at Matthew and chapter 14 and verse 31, for example. This is where I need to put my specs on. Matthew 14 and verse 31, we read this. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? This is the episode, of course, I'm sure you'll be familiar with it, where Jesus walks on water. At three o'clock in the morning, uh, the disciples were out in a boat uh, on the water and a great storm was uh, coming along there. And the disciples were petrified, if you read the, uh, the, pa the passage there. They were petrified because of the storm, of course, uh, and they were also petrified because they saw Jesus walking on water. They even thought he was a ghost at one point. And, and Jesus calmed them down, uh, and, and Peter, one of the disciples, said, If it is truly you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, Okay. And Peter climbed over the side of the boat uh, and he walked on water towards Jesus. Then he looked around, if you read the text, and he saw the wind and he saw the waves and he begin, began to, to sink. 
save me, Lord, save me, Lord. And he shouted, and Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed Peter. You have so little faith, he said to him. Why did you doubt me? If any of you are painters, paint me a picture of that situation. I'd love to have that. I've always thought about, I'm not a painter, but I'd love to have a picture of that on my hand. Jesus reaching out his hand and plucking Peter out of the water. The purpose of this storm for me was to help the disciples of Jesus grow in their faith. He wasn't going to be around, was Jesus, forever. And there would come a day when the disciples would need to fend for themselves. They had to learn to trust Jesus, even though he wasn't with them in person. However, this passage, we also need to commend Peter, I think, for getting out of the boat in the first place. Would I have done that? Would you have done that? I'm not sure if I would, if I'm totally honest. But Peter dared to be different, didn't he? And it took a man like Peter of real faith to make that first step over the side of the boat and walk on that water. The only reason why I think he began to sink was that he lost his faith when he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to look at the storm round about him. Peter had the choice of looking only unto Jesus and not sink, or taking his eyes off Jesus to see what was round about him and began to sink. Much credit is due to Peter, I feel, that when he began to sink, not when he was drowning, by the way, he began to sink. He called out to his Lord for help. And the Lord immediately helped him. This was a difficult experience for Peter, but it helped him grow in knowledge of himself and of the Lord, didn't it? The storms of life are not easy, but they are necessary sometimes. Why? Because they teach us to trust Jesus Christ and in him alone, and to obey his word, no matter what the circumstances may be round about us. Somebody once wrote these words. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence, but obeying in spite If you have little faith this morning, like Peter did for a moment out there on the water, keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Keep speaking to him, keep listening to him, and he will keep you safe. What does the proverb writer say? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Trust, faith, keeping your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. These Thessalonian Christians had faith and did not succumb to persecution. Their faith was tested, but they kept their eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus living? Is your faith in Jesus great, I wonder? And here I refer you to Matthew's Gospel again, just over the page Uh, from chapter 14 into chapter 15, verse 28. And here we have the episode, again, which I think you'll be familiar with, of where Jesus was trying to have some time alone uh, and then some time with his disciples. But somehow a Canaanite woman heard where he was and, and went to him with her needs. She was a Gentile, remember, and not a Jew, but she recognized Jesus for who he was. 
the son of David, we read. And whilst Jesus was content for her to speak with him, though not saying anything back to her, his disciples wanted him uh, to tell her to basically go away. Uh, just to get rid of her, basically. The disciples were not that concerned for her or her demonized daughter. They just wanted Jesus to do the business of healing the daughter and then getting rid of the woman by sending her away as quickly as possible. The woman kept on at Jesus. She wasn't going to give up pleading for him to heal her daughter. She was certainly patient. She was certainly persistent. Lord, help me, she exclaimed. That was her plea in verse 25 here. She was a lost sinner needing help from the Lord. And Jesus, referring to the woman, said that he was only sent to help the lost of Israel. Still, that didn't put her off asking. Jesus here, I believe, was drawing out of her a growing response of faith. And after, if you know the passage, after the taking the food from children and throwing it to the dogs in the street, reply from Jesus, the woman responded, ah, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. What a testimony of faith that woman had there at that point. Jesus acknowledged that faith of the woman and immediately healed the woman's daughter and explained, your faith is great. By the way, both people who Jesus said had great faith in Matthew were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. This Canaanite woman and the Roman centurion. Jesus came to the Gentile woman and the Gentile man. He died to save everyone from their sins and offered them an eternity in heaven itself. This woman's faith was great because she persisted in asking and trusting when everything and everyone seemed against her. So how is your faith again this morning? Is it as great as this woman's faith? Do you give up, the, give up at the first hurdle? Do you persist? Do you keep on going, I wonder? The Thessalonian Christians uh, who were being persecuted and who didn't have their key leader, Paul, with them, could have given up so easily, couldn't they? But Timothy reported to Paul that they didn't. They kept on going. They had faith, F-A-I-T-H. <laughs> the old way of thinking about it is forsaking all, I trust him. That's what the Thessalonian Christians did. Little faith, great faith. At least Peter and the Canaanite woman had faith. Again, what about you here this morning at Brighton Road? How is your faith? You may think you have little faith. You live with little faith, maybe. Maybe you think you have great faith, and you live thinking you have great faith. You may think sometimes you have little faith, and sometimes that little faith gets into great faith. And sometimes you have great faith, and that goes into little faith on occasion. And you swing between the two extremes of your faith in your life, your faith in Jesus. Between little faith and great faith, you may think there's a great distance between the two of them. Well, 
There is some faith, yes, but at least little faith and great faith are on the same road. Get the picture here. As Christians, we often talk about the narrow gate, as in Matthew uh, chapter 7, through which the, the, the narrow road goes, and on which we walk as Christians, those with faith. The narrow gate and, and the road that leads to God, that leads to heaven, leads to eternity. And sometimes we, we picture ourselves walking through the narrow gate and, and walking on the narrow road and everything um, is fine and everything is hunky-dory. Right? Ever think about that? Other times we find that narrow road and that narrow gate uh, tough. It's full of bumps and, and, and pits and we stumble over them, and we fall into them sometimes as we walk along, along that tough road. And sometimes we stop on that narrow road, and sometimes we just don't go anywhere. We just stand still. Sometimes we, we, we turn around and we go back on that road to where things once were. Sometimes we see the, we see the wide gate and the broad road nearby. And that road and that gate leads not to God, not to heaven, but to what the Bible calls hell. And that road is sometimes far easier and far more fun, we think, at least initially. And we leave the narrow road and we travel down the broad road. The road of faith is the narrow road and the road to no faith is the broad road. There's a picture if you want to see it. <laughs> so between little faith and great faith, there may be some distance, but at least little faith and great faith are leading to the same place. They are on the same road. If you have little faith or great faith, you are on the road that leads to heaven. And my third and final you have any faith in Jesus at all. Whilst the distance between little and great faith can be felt as large sometimes, we all want more faith, we all want greater faith, and we strive towards it. The distance between little faith and no faith is immeasurable. It is far better to have little faith than no faith Do you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning? And if you forget everything else I say this morning, just take that question home with you. Rejoice if you have little or great. Be more concerned if you have no faith. I don't know any of you here really this morning, but Jesus knows about each and every one of us, doesn't he? He knows where our faith in him lies this morning, whether it's great or little or none at all. Sometimes we can hide our faith in church, we can put on the, on the, uh, the mask of faith and everybody thinks that uh, we have faith in God and maybe sometimes we can wear that face mask for years. But in reality, under that mask, we need to admit to God at least, well, he knows it anyway, that we have no faith whatsoever 
the fall of man. If you are not yet a Christian, if you have not yet placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, may I plead with you to find out more about Jesus, even today, and what he has done for you, what he wants for you, to do for you in your life when you return. And I'm sure the church leaders here would love to talk with you further about your Christian faith this morning, even if they think you are already a Christian and that you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Saviour and Lord. You've welcomed him into your heart, into your life, but in reality you haven't. They would love to talk to you about that. They'd love to pray with you and support you and work with you through that time. The time has come to leave the broad road and walk the narrow road where Jesus is and where Jesus will walk with you through the ups and downs of life and eventually lead you into God's presence himself. Heaven itself one day. To go to that room that he has prepared for you one day. If you are a Christian and uh, you have faith and you have and you feel that that faith is little or great, well, be encouraged this morning. Be really encouraged. I want to do a, 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 a Paul writing to Thessalonica, a, a Paul talking to you here at Brighton Road this morning. Be encouraged. You are on the right road. However small or large, little or great your, your faith may be. Maybe those of you with little or great faith uh, need to pray and, and ask God for more faith as you journey down that narrow road and head towards God and eternity with him. Maybe you need to pray for more faith. And if you are blessed at the moment with great faith, well get alongside someone who has less faith than you do. And walk with them and encourage them. Build them up in their faith. That's what Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to do later on. Encourage one another. Build one another up. That's what he's saying to them. That's what we need to be doing as well. Those of us who have great faith at this time, let's be working with those and, and supporting those with, with little faith. It seems to me in the Christian church, with a capital C today, there seems to be more people who are putter-downers than builder-uppers. We need to be, as Christians, we need to be those who build one another up. And as the letter to uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and encourage one another. Let's build one another up. When I was younger, when I was 19, when I became a Christian, all those many, well, it wasn't many years ago, was it? 20 years ago. Um, when I was 19 years of age, uh, and whilst I looked at my, my, the saints, as it were, in the church at that time, I thought, well, they're going to be like them. They still supported me. They got alongside me, they encouraged me, they shared God's word with me, they prayed for me. They really did. Those of us who've got a faith, quite strong faith, or even a little faith, let's build one another up. Let's be builder-uppers, as I say, rather than putter-downers. So as I bring this to a conclusion, the the Thessalonian Christians persevered through the, the hard times. Peter despite the storm round about him, stepped out of the boat and walked to Jesus. And then he took his eyes off Jesus. Just for a second, his faith became little and he began to sink. But Jesus was there to, to hold him and to pluck him out of those stormy waters. And Jesus will still do the same for you and me today. But we need to step out in faith and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
and a Canaanite woman. Well, she had great faith because she persevered and she trusted. Just like the Thessalonians were trusting. Well, I finish, and I'm going to finish now. Remember this. Jesus has done so much for you and for me. He came into this world to die for the sins we have committed. And he's opened the gates of heaven to everyone who puts their faith and their trust in him. Even with those who have little faith. Even faith as small, as little as a mustard he has promised, has Jesus, to the believer, all those who repent of their sins, believe in him, whatever age, whatever background, irrespective of whether they're rich or poor, educated or non-educated, and all the rest, Jesus says, everyone who repents and believes in me has that faith and will have eternity one day. And also the promise in the here and now of sins forgiven, burdens lifted, and the knowledge and the assurance and the encouragement Jesus will walk with you every moment of your life in all its ups and downs and who one day will lead you into heaven itself, eternity itself. Those of you with no faith or little faith or even great faith, put your faith and bring all your faith in Jesus today. I trust that the Holy Spirit will take these words of mine and the words of Scripture primarily. Pray the Lord's name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you your word is relevant for each one of us even today. And Father, again, I just pray, pray you will speak to me and each one of us bow before you now. Father, Lord Jesus Christ, come alongside and encourage us if you need encouraging. Challenge us if you need challenging about something going on in our lives. For those here with great faith, may that great faith continue. Also may those with great faith encourage those with less faith. For those with less faith, Heavenly Father, help them to always keep their eyes firmly fixed on you. And Father, for those with no faith in Jesus today, I pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you will even speak to them even now, that you may knock on the door of their hearts, Heavenly Father, and I pray Hear our prayer, Heavenly Father, in the dear, precious, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 